Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Let me um, bring us immediately now into the Word of God, which is my privilege today to share with you a word from the Lord. Um, I'm going to read to you in a moment a passage of Scripture. Now, some of you in the congregation have traveled with us to Israel. Gail and I have been in Israel a number of times. And after I went the first time, I thought, well, that was a great experience. But every time we've gone, and I think it's about eight for me, I'm amazed that I see new things and God speaks to me in new ways. I commend the trip to you, even in the midst of a political climate where some people feel you can't go. Uh, If you can't go, you can't go. But if the Lord led you to go, I'd encourage it. One of the places that we went is north of the Galilee, almost to the country of Lebanon. And it's called the Banias, or Caesarea Philippi. And the text of the scripture that I'm going to read is that's the setting. And it's interesting, and I chose this because you're a congregation in transition. You're praying for a new senior pastor to come. You have a transitional pastor who's beginning today. You have pastors already. I see in your bulletin where there's, there's a possibility of a church plant, so there's a lot of talk and decision-making that will be made around that. I have no doubt. There will be lots of discussion. Transition. Uncertainty. And I want to read you a passage of Scripture that actually took place in the life of Jesus and the disciples at a point of transition. It comes at a point in Jesus' ministry where the disciples, um, even the disciples are beginning to ask questions about who Jesus really is. They've watched him now for a couple of years. And in the Galilee region, he spoke in a number of cities around the Sea of Galilee, a number of towns. Uh, In the scriptures, it's interesting that there are thousands of people at one point who are following Jesus. And on this beautiful ascending hill just by the Sea of Galilee, there were over 5,000 people that actually the miracle of the fish and the loaves took place. There were people all across these cities who experienced healing from Jesus, and he's being pressed in all the time by people who want, as it were, to even touch the hem of his garment. People are pressing in, and he's, he's being often asked to go here and do this and to speak to this one. However, there were people about two-thirds of the way in the ministry of Jesus who began to wonder, what's really going on? If he's a Messiah or he's the Christ, why isn't he doing something about the political situation? These Jews were under incredible persecution by the Romans. They were looking for a deliverer who would come. And the question marks were being raised as, what's going on? He's speaking of a kingdom... But the kingdom that he's speaking of doesn't have a political reality. What's all this language about? How do you put the healings together? How do you put together even the fact that someone has been raised from the dead, not far away from the Galilee, around the corner, to a little tiny village called Nain? 
where a woman lost her only son, a young man. Her husband previously died. Her son was all that she had, and the rumor went spread very quickly. And Jesus, filled with compassion, goes to the funeral. And as he gets to Nain, he hears the weeping and the wailing that's going on because this woman had lost her son. He goes into that community, and what does he do? He raises that young man from the dead. It's about a two-hour drive from the, that little tiny town of Nain down to Jerusalem. It's the day before iPhones and Samsung, whatever product you have. I have an iPhone. <laughs> there was a day before texting. But the word went immediately to Jerusalem about what had happened. But there are still people wondering. So what does Jesus do? He says to his disciples, his inner circle... Come with me. We are going for a walk. I said earlier today, I think Jesus was the most physically fit man that ever walked the earth because he walked everywhere. Maybe I should take some counsel. <laughs> but he did. He walked everywhere. And they went on a walk. It takes about an hour or a bit more to drive today by bus from the Galilee region north to the Banias or north to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a place of pagan worship. It's the oddest place for Jesus to take the disciples. But it's just like they're going on a retreat. He wants to get away from the crowds, the pressing in of the people in the Galilee. And he takes them north to a place of pagan worship. There was this God and that God, and it continued for centuries. The God Pan and the gods of the creation, and so on. People, all kinds of religious groups were there. Does it sound like a multi-faith environment? Does it sound like the Canadian context today of multi-faith and pluralism? And there are still people asking a question that Jesus asks in this text? And now I'll read the text. If you have your Bible, you'd like to look. It's Matthew 16. And it just jumps right into this without a prelude. And I wanted to give you kind of a prelude to the text so you'd understand what's happening with the disciples. Wouldn't it have been nice to know the conversations that took place on that walk from the Galilee up to the Caesarea Philippi? But here we have jumping right in, as it were, in the book of Matthew. And we jump in, and here it is. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But... What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we have your word. We have your Holy Spirit with us. Open to our understanding your word and make it applicable to us as individuals, but also to us as a congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now some of you who know me well know that I've had the privilege of traveling many places on the earth. And to get to many of these places on the earth, you have to get in an airplane. Are you going by airplane or driving? You're going to fly? Oh, you'll love my story this morning. <laughs> so, I'm a white knuckle flyer. I don't need to be, I know, and I tell myself all the things in my head and I pray real hard, but I'm the kind of guy that helps the pilot land the plane from row 21. <laughs> and when we're coming in, I go, you can do it! <laughs> now, of course, I don't show it, but in my heart, I'm saying... <laughs> So whenever I hear a story about an airplane or anything to do with it, I take special note. And there's a friend of mine, and he's not a close friend, but he's a friend. His name is Paul Cedar, pastor in California, near Pasadena. Anyway, he was flying one night into San Francisco. Now, some of you in the earlier service, I asked, have any of you flown into San Francisco? And there were hands. How many of you flown into San Francisco? Neat. So you know, when you fly into San Francisco, the runway is where? Very close to the water, the Pacific Ocean, not far. So Paul was landing um, in an aircraft, of course, coming into San Francisco on a very foggy, rainy night. That's very typical for San Francisco. So they were landing, and they had already come down through the fog and the mist, and he had noted that the guy by the aisle, or the guy on the window, was really peering very closely into that window as they kept coming down, coming down, coming down, and they, they just couldn't quite make the runway, and they heard... Mm, and up they went. And the pilot comes on and says, the plane is functioning very well. We do not have any mechanical issues. And everybody's going, yes! But we had a missed approach. Oh, whoever wants to hear that? And then they say, we'll go round and we'll try again. So in that case on that evening, what happened was they came in for the second approach and the guy at the window is just rustling with his hands and he's beginning to perspire and he's just really peering through that window looking for any sign of light other than this glow from the city of San Francisco. So Paul, as the pastor, said, I've got to help this guy. So he reaches out in words and kind of leans over and he says to the guy peering out the window, you know, he said, I'm sure we're going to be fine. 
He said, you know, there's this modern technology and all that happens. He said, there's a system on the ground that actually locks right into the plane and that will bring that plane right down onto the runway. In fact, the plane can practically land itself. You can relax, don't worry. And the man at the window said, yeah, I know about that technology. My company and engineers made it. <laughs> I would have a sense that there are times in congregations when you're peering through the window looking for some light wondering are we going to land safely your church is in transition who will the next senior pastor be your church is in transition today. You're calling a new transitional pastor. Your church is in transition when I read in the bulletin and I've heard before that there's discussion, there's planning about the starting of a new ministry. And you're peering through the window looking for some light in what probably feels a little bit like fog and you're wondering, well, what are the next steps? How is this all going to happen? Thelma's probably wondering today, as she might be peering through the window, as it were, looking for light, thinking as a transitional pastor, what's it going to be like to move from the Annapolis Valley, where I've been for a long time, and I have all my familiar relationships? Lord, what's it going to be like? The current pastors are probably wondering, what's it going to be like? So as I come this morning, the message is really, if I had a title for it, it would be called Proceed with Confidence. Proceed with Confidence. How can you know you can have confidence as we gather today and as you think about the future? You see, that was really what was going on with Jesus, with his disciples at that point in their ministry. There were some who were doting that he was the Messiah. He wanted his inner circle to have confidence because the reality was, within a short period of time, he would be on the road to Jerusalem. There would be a cross involved. And he wanted them to have confidence, even in the cross, which looked like everything would be defeated. So he takes them on this little trip takes them on a retreat. And in the course of the conversation, the question is asked, who do people think I am? He says to them. He said, the disciples said, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Come back. Or maybe Elijah. Or you, who are you? They wonder. Then he says this, and this really is the question for our young people on this trip as they go to minister. It's a question for every one of us in the room today to ask fresh and anew, even if we've been following Jesus for some time. At this point and in this day, Jesus would look you right in the eye and say, who do you say I am? You think I'm a philosopher? Am I just a good person? Can I really be trusted? Who do you say that I am?
it was in that place where they worshiped many gods that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And there's a sense in which every person who comes to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who brings conviction of that. The Bible bears evidence of it, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. I've had the privilege of serving as the Dean of Theology, not only the President of the College, but the Dean of Theology for the University. Meeting other deans, working in a secular environment at points. But there are many Christians on our campus, but there are still many people. I want to say to you this morning that the uniqueness of Jesus is unsurpassed. The scripture says of Jesus, and Paul wrote later to the Colossian church, Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God. He said all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily in Jesus. I would say to you who are young people learning about this fresh and new and others of us who've been on the road, we need to be reminded Jesus has no rival. There is no one who has ever come to this earth that compares. And of himself he said, I am, what? The way, the truth, and the life. And then he has this exclusive statement that in a place where I work is almost anathema. The exclusivity of Jesus is almost an affront to an intellectual mind. Jesus said the cross is a stumbling block to the Jew and an affront to the Gentile. The exclusivity of what I'm about to say is an affront in an intellectual community of a university, but it is an affront to the people who are all around us who simply want to say we'll take the best of everything and really isn't every religion okay and isn't everybody really just going the same and don't we all worship the same God and then Jesus says and these are the words that are hard he said no one comes to the Father except through me so if some of you are here this morning, you may say to yourself, I don't even know if I believe in God. Well, I want to suggest to you, in the process of your working that through, that God, who loved the world so much, who sent his son, he sent his one and only unique son, Jesus. And I'd say to our young people and all of you, if you're considering Jesus you need to understand that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You want to know about truth and the meaning of life? You want to know about how you fit into that, your own purpose? Look at Jesus. And you'll find in him not only a wonderful friend, you'll find a savior who can forgive your sins, but you'll find someone who desires to be the Lord of your life. Jesus said to them, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed to you that I'm the Son of God, but my Father. He is the incarnate, the express image. 
the one who calmed the sea, the one who drove out demons, the one who healed the sick, the one who raises the dead. Now, some of you are younger, some of us are a little bit older in the room, some of you might even be older than me, just teasing. Um, but you know, this business of living on this earth, how do we find that north star? How do we point our lives in the direction where there will be guidance when you're peering through that window? Our north star, our point of reference is Jesus. As a church going forward in a time of transition, in your own life, whatever's happening, reunite yourself to the beautiful, wonderful Son of God. Some of you have been with us on these trips to Israel, and Caesarea Philippi has this white marble. It is a glorious place. The, the cliffs are white marble. It's a place of worship. And in that place, there's also this cavernous place that was called... Um, hell. It was called uh, this Hades. It was called this, this gates of hell. And some of the pagan worship included sacrifice of human beings where they would throw people in there to appease some god. And in that place where Jesus took the disciples, he said, who do you think I am? Then he said something. I want to move on to this point. Not only have confidence in Jesus this morning and be well grounded in him, it was at that point that Jesus said he was going to do something. He said, I'm going to build my church. And you can have confidence this morning and I can have confidence today that Jesus is building his church, his people. Then he threw this in. Now, you'd have to be in Caesarea Philippi to get the point. And I came through divinity school and was never told this. But when I got there and I saw for myself that this bubbling up, almost volcanic action, whatever was happening in these springs underneath, where they thought there was some god that was rising up and they had to appease him, Jesus said, you see over there? You think that's something? He said, my church is going to be built. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is going to prevail against the building of the church. All over the world, the gospel's growing and bearing fruit. I shared earlier today that in a few years ago, I had the privilege of being in Chongqing, China. And this is hard to imagine, a city that has more population than all of Canada. One city in Chongqing. And preaching there on a Palm Sunday morning, I think there were six or seven services that morning, and as I preached, the pastor said, and maybe these pastors are thinking the same thing, the pastor said, now you have to keep with you your time because we have another group coming. And I looked out the window, and the lineup of people were way down the street. There are mixed messages about how many people come to Christ in China every day, and I'm not going to give you a figure. I'm just going to tell you, the Holy Spirit is raising up a mighty church in China. There's the registered church that we know of, and there's an unregistered church. And to be in that place was an amazing experience to see God at work. But we've also been in places like Brazil, where we met with a small group of people in a garage. And the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit ministering to very poor people in this little garage in Brazil, I'll never forget. 
And it was in one of those places in Brazil, not far from Brasilia, the capital, where Joyce Hancock, just nod your heads if you know who I mean by Joyce Hancock. She was former missionary to Brazil. She'd been at First Baptist in Dartmouth. And I like to tell stories that can be verified by somebody you know. And I want to tell you this morning that this Baptist saw God do something just outside of Brasilia in a little town called Aguilindas where Joyce was rescuing young people off the streets from their drug abuse. There was a young man by the name of Oscar, only six months in the Lord. And when we got there on this hot, dusty day in July, Oscar ran to the car, and before we could even get out, we could see that his eye was very swollen. And I'm not going to describe the horrible situation he was in with his eye. And immediately there was a compassion that rose up in me that I can't describe. And I wanted to do whatever we could to get medical attention for this man because I was afraid he was going to lose his sight. It was a terrible situation. And so it wasn't long before I just said, and Joyce talked about the doctor, and it was too long a story to get into, but this guy was in trouble. And I just had this desire to pray for him. So we went, he was the keeper of the animals, and it's too long a story, but I'll just tell you, he, we followed him to the barn where he was the keeper of the animals, because part of the rehabilitation was that these young guys would take care of these animals, and they had to accept responsibility and so on. He wanted to show us his animals. So down we go to this barn. I won't even tell you that I'm terrified of snakes, and I had to walk through grass. You don't want to hear about all that. <laughs> I won't tell you that I hit my head on the side of the barn because the barn was low and I'm looking for snakes and wham, I went into this. Anyway, you don't need it. Not, I'm not going to tell you all that. So we get down there and I say to Joyce, Joyce, is it okay if we pray for Oscar? Sure, she said. Just I'll ask him. Portuguese, da 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 da. I said, I'm so worried about this eye. So Oscar stands there with his ball cap. He threw his ball cap on the ground and he opens his hands and looks up. And I prayed, the simplest of prayer, Lord, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Heal this eye. And we left. And I was speaking at the chapel about 20 minutes later. So up we go through that same grass. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about that. <laughs> Get back to the chapel. I'm ready to, to speak to the group because every day they have a chapel. And I'm standing in this chapel and I'm at the pulpit. I'm about ready to speak. And I look at the back of the room and this tall, young, strapping, muscular guy, Oscar's at the back and he's running toward me and I'm worried. I'm thinking, ah, you okay, Oscar? What's going on? And he's shouting, glory, adios, glory, adios, glory, adios. And he grabbed me, and I'm not little. <laughs> and he lifted me up, and my wife was there. She'd tell you the same story. Joyce Hancock was there. She'd tell you the same story. And Oscar turned. His eye was completely normal. Do you know, for this Baptist, it was an amazing thing because I realized fresh and new 
that while healing is a tremendous ministry and how we've prayed for some and we've seen God not do it. And there's a mystery. And I want to tell you this morning, if you've been prayed for in healing and you haven't seen it, what I have seen is God will give you the grace to go through whatever you're going through. He'll give you the grace. But I want to pray for healing too. That morning, or that afternoon, this Baptist realized fresh and new, the heavens are opened. The Spirit of God is at work. That young man had an amazing healing, but this old guy, I had an amazing healing because I realized the compassion, the mercy. You and I need to be awake. We need to be awake. This is not history lessons. This word is alive. And the Spirit of the Lord is here. Have confidence in Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church all over the world. And in Truro, I want to make a statement that may or may not be true. You'll have to judge it yourself. My observation is, in the Maritimes, there are places, there are communities, there are cities that seem to have a special blessing of God. And I'll tell you, I've preached in some places where the hearts of people seem almost like the rocks of granite along the shores of this beautiful province. Truro is not a place like that. This is a place for years where the Spirit of the Lord has been at work and is at work. I don't understand it all. I just know there are some places I go where I sense the presence of the Lord at work, and this is one of them. The Lord said, I will build my church, and he's building it here. Some of you may be peering through that window, wondering in the fog, what's it all going to look like? Where are we headed? What's it going to be? Will we be okay? Thelma may be wondering. I know Thelma earlier, I said about Paul when he went into Corinth, he said to them, I came among you in weakness and in trembling, and I determined to know only among you the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my preaching was not based on human wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. When I come into worship, I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. That's what the Word says He'll do. I don't convict people of sin. The Holy Spirit does. I don't point people to Jesus. I recommend Him. The Holy Spirit convicts people of the righteousness of Christ. And he still is in the business of convicting people deeply in their spirit of judgment, which means take this seriously and with great joy. And the final thing I'll say to you is have confidence that he's not only building his church in New York, here, wherever you're going to be, have confidence finally in the presence and in the power of of the Spirit of God whose desire is to know, let you know the love of God and share it. Because the mission of this church is the same as every church, which is to make disciples of Jesus and to demonstrate the love of God because we're to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. 
while we're making disciples. I just want to conclude by saying I'm so glad to have the privilege of being here on this particular Sunday. I'm just, as Micah said, it's kind of amazing how the Lord pulls all things together. But may I just encourage you as a congregation, be alert and have confidence in the direction that the Lord is leading you because not only will you land safely, but you will move quickly and well. That's my confidence in the future for Emmanuel in all the transitions that you're experiencing. Let's pray together. Lord God, you've, you have given us your word. You are the God of miracles. You are the God of mystery. We do not understand all these things, but we know that you're at work in the lives of human beings to demonstrate your love and your power. You give us purpose in life and we bless you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.